Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 14, which is an exciting one because I got to interview one of my literacy friends, Rafaela Martinez from Instagram, and her handle is at thinking underscore about underscore third, and we are going to be chatting about small groups. I will give you a bit of a heads up. I did record in a different location and without my microphone, so my audio quality is not as great as you are used to hearing, but you can still hear a great interview nevertheless. My guest has been teaching virtually since the beginning of this pandemic, and we are going to be talking about how you can create your small groups, how you can know what to teach in your small groups, how you can be able to check in with students and conference in your small groups and how you can be able to track data within your small groups. I have had the honor and privilege of being able to talk with her and I am super excited about these tips that she is going to share with you. So here we go. You are listening to The Literacy Dive, a podcast for teachers who want to take a deeper dive into all things reading and writing. Learn teacher tips and actionable step-by-step strategies to help you grow as an educator. With a passion for literacy and supporting teachers, here's your host, Megan Polk from Miss P's Style. Okay, I am so excited. As you just heard in the intro, we have a guest today. And before we get started, could you just give a quick little introduction to tell our listeners a little bit more about you, who you are, and um, what you are doing? Absolutely. I'm so excited to be talking with you. This is my first ever podcast. <laughs> um, but my name is Rafaela Di Martinez, known as Miss Di Martinez. And I'm 28. Um, I'm a third grade teacher from North Jersey. And this is my sixth year teaching um, in a third, fourth, and fifth grade school. So I'm in a big school district, but I've been in the same school and I've been in third grade this whole time. And I absolutely love um, that grade level. Um, I have my master's in reading. I have a huge passion for reading and writing, which is what connected us. Um, I just got my reading specialist certification. I got my supervisor certification. I just love exploring different avenues in this field. Um, and that's kind of what led us to connect on, um, on Instagram, but I've always wanted to be a teacher. Um, I don't know if you've been the same way. Um, but I've always been such a huge reader and writer. Like I was writing, you know, love songs at 11 years old. (laughs) I was writing in my journal. (laughs) Um, yeah. Yeah. So I've kept a journal since I was 11 and I still write in one. So even when I was little, I was like, I need to do something with this. Yes. No, I, I think I'm kind of a similar, I I've loved like children since I was younger. Um, and then I knew that I wanted to be a teacher, but then when I went to college and had orientation, I found myself at the business college and at the law school for orientation. And then wow. it was like, okay, I can't chase after the things that make money. I need to go where my passion is. And so <laughs> the afternoon session, I found my way to the education department and then, oh, wow. yeah, and then went over there. So it's really funny that I've always wanted to be a teacher, but I was like, they don't make money. So I have mm-hmm. and I just had no passion there. So um, very similar. And I, yeah, like I said, like you had said, um, and for our listeners, we completely met through Instagram and <laughs> yep. the power of just meeting people who have similar interests and in similar fields is so real. And so it's a great place just to have those basic connections. 
Exactly. And um, that's funny you say that because I knew I wanted to be a teacher since I was like five. Like my sister and I were playing school. I come from a big Italian family. Um, I love kids too. Like I've always, I always have, and I'm one of four. Um, but then I also like have this huge passion for graphic design. So it was like these two completely different things. Um, so in high school, I kind of had to pick up, uh, sorry, college, I had to pick a path. And I was like, okay, teaching is very structured. Like, you know, you have to do that. And I've kind of learned how to weave some of graphic design into, you know, now everything has, you know, we have teachers pay teachers, we have digital products, we make things for our kids. So it's been really fun for me to actually merge like my passions together. And I'm kind of launching into that more like this year. And that is also why I was so drawn to, I mean, one, your page, your Instagram page, and just everything that you do and the way that we connect. But um, during this, this avenue of teachers that are teaching virtually or they're in person and then suddenly they have to go virtually, um, you with having that background too, I know that you just have so many ways that could make it easier for teachers to be able to do the work that they have to do, the hard work. Um, whether they're in person or virtually. So that is just a great skill set that you have that I noticed pretty early on when getting this. <laughs> That's so sweet. I mean, I'm, I try, you know, all we could do is try. <laughs> you know, you kind of, this, this has been crazy, right? Like you have to take everything that you know and almost have a new job. Like you have to take everything and put it on the computer. Yeah. And, you know, in the past five, has it been five, six months or whatever it's been since even August? Um, I think- you know, it's been up and down, but we have gone into a routine and I think I do have some good, you know, tools under my belt to share. Awesome. Well, before we dive in, because I know, um, our listeners are so eager to hear about, um, virtual, about small groups and, um, what they can be able to do to implement. But before we dive into talking about small groups, I want to ask you, how has teaching been for you this first half of the school year? Even if you can sum it up in one word, um, just what is your, just like real quick recap, what has your experience been like? In one word, I would call it a roller coaster. <laughs> um, things are always changing. It has been, like I said, up and down. Things were very uncertain for, for all of us for, for a while, right? Um, I would say from August to October, I don't think I ever worked so much. Like even, you know, your first year of teaching is crazy, but I would say August, September, October was wild. Right. And, and uh, we, um, I in particular have been fully virtual since March 13th. It's been over 10 months now. Um, so it took a while to get into a routine, but I have to say things have been running so much more smoothly. The kids are so cooperative. Um, and they've taken to this a lot better than I expected. So with the grace of like amazing parents and really good kids, I have to say, um, it's been, you know, manageable and it's been surprised, you know, um, surprising in so many ways. So a roller coaster is how I would describe it. <laughs> No, and I love that. And like really quickly before we move into a roller coaster, the great thing about that word roller coaster is that there are peaks that go up high, very, very high in the sky. And those are some great moments. And honestly, too, those are like the moments that like cause right before it goes down into the spiral, so, you know, but after you're down, you go right back up. And so I, I love that you said that. Um, yeah, I think that's a very accurate because there have been so many like highs, right? Like you get that little, you get those boosts of, okay, this is working and I'm doing this well. And, oh, that actually went really well. And then you have those days where it's like, okay, well, no one's computer is working and we're just going to have to do what we can. Go with the flow. Well, I yeah. love well, thank you for sharing that word. Okay. So now we're just going to go ahead and dive in. So 
Um, how, so since we're going to be talking about um, small groups and more, more, you know, more seriously talking about virtual, because that's what you've been for the last, you know, since we went out in March, um, how do you create your small groups? Okay. So I feel like this is a loaded question that is just differs depending on even what part of the school year you're in. So I'm going to start from the beginning. I think the way that I create my small groups for reading and writing in the beginning of the year is kind of different from how it is once you actually know your kids, right? You get these, these children, these students, and you're not sure where they, you know, their skills lie. So you have to give yourself grace and time to actually get to know them. So whatever assessment on demand writing piece, running record I do with them, I tend to really just start there, the bare minimum, and see what pops out to me. I think like in the past, I was like so focused on comprehension. Like we want to make sure the kids understand what they're reading, but you really need to start at the very beginning. So I love to use Jennifer Saravalo's, um, her hierarchy of reading goals, reading skills with the kids. Um, and I had the pleasure of actually like working with her in person. I taught her daughter, so I will like reference her a lot. <laughs> I did learn so much from her just in like the few months I got to do some workshops with her. Um, but do your kids even like to read? Like, do they like to write? That's the bare minimum basic where, where you should start. And I feel like a lot of us just skip right over that. Right. So I yeah, like, do your kids like to, do they come in and do they actually like to read? And if not, that's where you have to work with them on. And even if that takes a couple of weeks or a couple of months, those skills and strategies, those small groups are all about building their love of reading or writing. Right. I, I think that, I mean, it's, I think about myself too. And it's like, if I don't passionately love something or even take the chance to get to know if I like it or not, I'm really not going to have the motivation to want to do it or invest the time into doing it. And so if we can pinpoint, um, figuring out, do they, do they enjoy it? And if they don't enjoy it, how can we be able to give them these experiences that changes, you know, their outlook on what reading and writing is. And then once you can do those things, then, you know, you have the ability to be able to then move them through those different, you know, subjects. So I like that you mentioned that. And I'm fangirling because when I, <laughs> that you had a snippet in Jennifer's book as well. I don't want to gloss over that. I was like, this is awesome. And then when you shared that you taught her daughter, I'm just like, wow. And so if you have not um, referenced or looked through the books that she's written, I know she probably has more out, but I'm more specifically, if you've never experienced these books with the reading strategies and writing strategies, we you will, need them. Yes, we will link to them in the show notes so that you can know what um what she's talking about right now but it is a great resource for you to just dive into and implement into your classrooms yeah so i use i think i use two things in the beginning of the year i use her hierarchy of goals right where do we start with the kids based on their running record mm -hmm. and i also always survey the kids so i always give them a reading and a writing survey simple how much do you read at home what do you like to read what do you not like to read um, what did you like to write in second grade? What did you, um, really just dislike, you know, about writing and they, they're brutally honest. So a lot of kids will be like, I really don't read at home. So, um, if I kind of merge the data I get from those two things, you, there really usually is a clear starting point. I would say, especially for your lower, um, leveled readers and writers. I think we all get a little bit confused when, you know, you get a student and they're like, okay, they read the whole thing. They know what they're doing. They're a great writer. Where do I go? Right. Um, 
And that's why I kind of, again, follow the, that hierarchy, right? Emergent reading, engagement, print work, fluency, of course, and then you dive into comprehension. Um, so one thing that I like to do is when I'm doing a running record or um, an assessment of any kind in the beginning of the school year, depending on what you use, I literally keep a notebook next to me, super simple. Mm-hmm. And I write down something that pops out um, at me from the first interaction I have with them with their reading or writing. So you know, a lot of times it's like, okay, Matthew is really struggling to decode. He cannot chunk this, these tricky words. I just write that down. And that's obviously a great place to start. Right. Um, or even my high flyers, they might be able to verbally give me a summary and they could tell me, you know, everything that happened in the book, right. Or the story. But then I ask them a specific question, right? Like, why do you think the author titled the story this? And they aren't interpreting the question properly and they, you know, sometimes can't pull that text evidence to answer the question. Okay. So that's where they need to go. Um, so I've learned to just keep it very simple and kind of jot like what sticks out to me from the very beginning. And then that's how you kind of will put them in groups to try to nurture, um, whatever deficits they might have or wherever you want them to go to the next step. Yeah. And also I think you should pay attention to which kids remind you of each other. I always am like, okay, Um, you know, Stephanie just read and she actually reads very similarly to John. So I might partner them up or I might put them in a small group. Um, and then sometimes I always have that one or those one or two kids that need something totally separate. Like so-and-so just does not like to read. I need to just work with her on picking a just right book. I don't think you need to limit yourself in a box to saying, oh, I have 20 kids. I need five groups of four. Those are going to be my small groups. I definitely don't do that anymore. Love. I love that same Um, And then two, I think that a lot of the time we just get so used to doing a running record, let's say for reading, and then you just see all of these L's, all of these Q's, all of these R's, and then you just want to throw them in a group. Yes. That you're looking at their actual reading behaviors and what strategies are they missing? Or like you said, like what personalities or what, what needs really need to go together to make the best group. And with, with one of my groups in particular, a group of um, O's that I had, I, I had two groups of O's because one group of O needed something very different than the other group of O needed. And together, it just wasn't as effective. And so I think here the key is really focusing on your students and their needs um, in order to get, you know, to move them forward and to get that growth. Exactly. And I used to do exactly that. I would just lump them together based on their level. And then I would notice that when I did give them a strategy or when we practice something together, it's like, okay, these two kids totally grasp character traits with evidence, but so-and-so is really falling behind and then it's not effective. Um, so I've been more specific, but quick with, you know, that quick thing that stands out to me. And I let that guide my first few months of getting to know the kids and putting them in groups. I would say for writing, however, it's a little bit easier, I think, to lump them as low, middle and high writers. Um, you know, you ask the kids to write you a story about what they did over the summer or, um, a personal narrative and they, who gives you one sentence. Okay. So those kids kind of, you know, can obviously put in a small group because they're not generating ideas or maybe they don't like to write. Um, And again, Jennifer Saravalo also has that hierarchy of writing skills, which are very similar for reading. But I just think my number one tip is to start with the basics. Um, If kids do not like to read or they do not like to write, you can't be asking them to give you like the setting of a story. They're not going to want to, and then they might not be able to. Right. 
Right. No, I love that. And so that kind of leads us into like the next portion. So once you've had these groups created, once you've done the process, which takes time um, in order to really get the information and, and the data that you need, um, how do you then, after the, the basic foundations, narrow your focus or how do you figure out what it is that you're going to teach during your small groups each day when you have that targeted amount of time that you have, okay, you know, we, we all run out of time. So, um, or Absolutely. we all feel like we don't have enough time. So when you do have that targeted amount of time, how is it that you um, find, what am I gonna teach these students during this time that I have? So yes, before I launch into that, I also wanna say you can easily make an anchor chart to anchor charts for the kids um, with like, do I like to read? Do I understand what I read? Kind of taking, those goals and putting them in kid-friendly terms and they can grab a post-it and stick their name where they want to go. And that'll also help you guide your groups because you can kind of see like what the kids are thinking. So let them have, you know, a say in their goals too. Just wanted to throw that in there. In person, that was um, something I did all the time. And virtually I use Google Forms like crazy. So um, having them, you know, asking them questions, collecting that data, that can also, you know, let them lead you to what group they want to be in. Um, so once you have an idea of, you know, which kids you would pull together, who you might just keep separately, um, I like to, I, so I stopped giving myself a schedule. Um, I think that I was constantly saying like, okay, I'm going to meet with three groups on Monday, these two groups on Tuesday, these three groups on Wednesday, but guess what? You have a fire drill, you have an assembly, your computer goes out, you ran out of time because math went over. Um, so now I just have my groups and kind of like the order I want to pull them, but not necessarily when I don't put myself in that box of like at nine o'clock from nine to nine, from nine to nine 15, I have to get to this group. Mm -hmm. And I think that just puts the pressure off and lets you get to them when you can. So I think that's something I've learned to do as well. Um, and then the three types of conferences that I realized while like thinking about this, that I tend to do are, it's either a modeling conference um, a guided conference that you can do together, or I, I just kind of call it like a show and go. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what I'll do is with, you know, your lower leveled students, you of course want to, you're, you're pulling them as much as you can, and you are working with them as much as you can. Right. They need the modeling, right? You should have your own reading jot, your own digital writing notebook, whatever it might be to show them what you're doing. Um, and I like to always stick to a strategy um, I have um, reading and writing strategy post-its, both digital and ones that you can print on my, you know, Teachers Pay Teachers store, but I've compiled those over the years and those are really helpful to say, okay, these three kids are, you know, are struggling with fluency. Let me pull one of those strategies and show them how we can do just one of them. Right. Um, and you don't have to have them sit there. I always used to, you know, wait and I was like, okay, I have to watch them try it. You don't, you don't have to, you can model it and say, okay, go off and try it. And I'm going to check in with you later in the week. Um, I think allowing yourself that flexibility of knowing it's not going to be mastered the second you teach it to them. Right. It's really important. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so important. And, um, I guess you kind of touched on it a little bit, but, um, just knowing that teachers right now are having to pivot, especially the ones who are teaching virtually because, even though this whole journey started in March, um, this is not something like normal that teachers have, you know, a whole lot of um, experience with. And so 
when thinking about teachers who are in person prior to March, and this next question is pretty much a struggle for them, I can only imagine the teachers who are virtual um, also finding, I don't know, a little bit of struggle with it. So what tips or what can you share about um, how you check in with your small groups consistently? Like what methods have worked for you in your virtual experience that teachers could be able to also try or, and I know that sometimes those same conferences can work for teachers who are in person, but definitely just knowing that we're not out of this virtual realm right now, or maybe even anytime soon, how do you check in with your small groups consistently? So after I, you know, give a group or, um, one person or a partnership, a goal, whether that's on one of my goal bookmarks that I like to use in person, whether that's digital, you know, virtually. Um, I always say to them, I think it's important to tell your students that you will check in with them. So I'll usually say to them, I would love if every time you go to read this week, you practice this strategy and I will be checking in with you to see how it's going. So if it's a lower leveled student who let's say they're just working on decoding, it's not really something they can jot, right? Like I chunked a tricky word. There's no jot that necessarily goes along with that. But for your higher students, um, I, you know, I will say to them, I would love if you could practice summarizing once or twice before I see you again. And that kind of just keeps in the back of their mind, okay, my teacher is going to expect to check in with me. So then for me, um, I've tried so many different strategies, binders, notebooks, whatever it might be. To keep track, I needed something super simple. So I use a conference checklist sheet whether it's, I've used it digitally and on paper, um, on Google Sheets, it's been a game changer. So it simply says, who did I meet with this week? Each kid gets a checkbox or two, depending on, you know, if you're able to meet with them twice. Um, and I'm able to easily see who I didn't get a chance to pull, even from week to week, like, oh, I actually haven't met with Jack in two weeks, like this week, you know, I really have to pull him. And that visual is, takes two seconds to, you know, check off their names and, you know, when I do meet with them, it could be as simple as, can you tell me how that strategy has worked for you this week? Can you uh, show me um, a jot or two that you've done based on what I told you? So you're going to get those kids that have absolutely nothing, even though you told them. And you're going to get kids who, you know, I've had kids give me really great feedback in the past. A couple of times they said like, you know, I tried it, but it I don't really like it or it's not working for me. And then that's okay. And then if you feel like they still need practice, right? Let's say it's making predictions and you gave them one strategy, you check in with them four or five days later. And, um, you notice that maybe they tried it, but it's not really, um, you know, a full jot. They, they didn't really accomplish it. Give them another strategy for predicting. And then it's kind of your call. I would say when, um, you're, you think they're ready to move on to something else. And I always think that if you're in a unit, like a reading or writing unit, I think it's okay for them to stick to that same skill. Some kids need those four to six weeks to stick to character traits. They might, you know, really need all of that time to practice that job. Cause let's be real. How many times are they really practicing it? Right. We have other activities we do. We have partner work. We have things that happen in our day. So I think making sure that you are just aware of when you're checking in with them. I don't think there's a set number of times you need to check in with your students. Cause I think it's just, it's hard to, you know, put such unattainable goals on yourself. Right. I'm definitely not meeting with my kids the way that I would have been. And as often as I would love to, um, and that's just the 
nature of virtual teaching right now for me. Um, you know, before and after the holidays, it was transitioning in and out of units. We had winter activities and I don't even think I met with a, a small group um, for a couple of weeks and I think that's okay. So that's kind of the best thing I could say. Yeah, no, that's really good. And I think that too, with that, I mean, just even the the checklist that you're mentioning, I think that if we rely on our brains of like, or if we rely on, you know, circulating the room or looking on the screen, I think that we as teachers tend to always visit the same group of five, six, seven, and then yes. 16 are like overlooked. And so, you know, definitely having something as simple as like what you mentioned. Um, and I've seen your checklist before, which is awesome. And it's so simple to implement and use. Um, but I mean, even just making a check a checklist where you can be able to see the check marks and you'll be able to see who does not have check marks and where you need to go. And the second part to that is letting your students know. Um, I'm going to check in with you. And then the second, the third part to that is actually going to check in. And I think that's where sometimes teachers don't do the follow through. And so then the students like they end up picking up on that. And so it's just really important that, you know, challenge yourself to follow through and go and do those check ins and you'll find those kids actually holding themselves, you know, accountable too. So that's definitely. And on, you know, I, I created kind of a Google Sheets version of the checklist that goes along with where you can keep your notes. And I think that's cool because, you know, you can just look across the whole sheet for, you know, I have all my weeks from September to now and I can see like, oh, I meet with this child a lot and I actually haven't met with so-and-so. So I think, I think it is really cool to see. The other thing I would say is I give myself the flexibility. I always tell myself that on Fridays, I am not doing specific strategy groups. Um, I use, I like to use my reading toolkit that I created with, um, it has a bunch of questions for fiction and nonfiction for each guided reading level. Mm-hmm. And I like to just pull kids and let them read to me. Like I like to just talk to them about their books. I like to just ask them to read me. What is your favorite part of the writing that you did this week? Um, and kind of just like give yourself the grace to talk to your kids, get to know them. Yeah. Don't put so much pressure on it. Sure. Um, And I love just sometimes you'll notice like you ask them just a random question and it can give you a lot of data, um, whether or not they're able to answer it, how, what part did they pick in their writing that they felt was the best part to read to you. So I feel like those conferences can actually be more beneficial than a whole planned out type of thing. Um, Or I'll pull two students and I'll have them read their work to each other, but also guide and coach while they're doing it. I like to do that a lot too. So I think giving yourself flexibility, like maybe one or two days a week to have your easygoing, flexible conferences is also extremely beneficial because I am, I am a big planner. I do love to plan. I love to have my groups written down who I want to meet with, what I want to do. But I think if I've learned anything this year with this virtual teaching, that's almost been a whole year is that sometimes flexibility and, um, just going on the fly can give you the best results. Well, exactly. And like those spontaneous moments, you just have to, if you budget time for them, you have no idea where they can go. And so um, I love that you just shared that because um, that will hopefully give a lot of teachers a little bit of that just way to like be able to breathe and say, you know what, if you didn't get to it, it's okay. You can still have some really beneficial moments by doing, you know, intentional questioning or just allowing kids to enjoy the reading and the writing process with nothing attached to it. So 
But we know as teachers that like outside of just wanting to do the reading and the writing for, you know, enjoyment and, and finding the joy with our students, we do know that the word data is connected um, to just about everything that teachers have to do. And data can be such a dreadful word. Um, right. And so how do you track data within your small groups? Um, how do you find the most success with being able to keep track of um, all of the data that you need at any given moment? So I have tried everything under the sun. <laughs> um, I've had fancy binders. I've had notebooks. I've done it on Google Docs. Um, how can I keep track of these notes, right? And certain years, I think certain things have worked better than others. Um, but this year I was, when we were in person, I guess I should say last year then, um, I had a simple three subject notebook. I kept it right next to me when I would pull students to the back table to work with me. I would just write down like very quick general notes. Okay. And what I would do is I would take those and then I would, when I had time, um, type them up in my Google Sheets spreadsheet that I have. Um, and I keep it for reading, writing, and math. Um, and having it in one spot just to be able to flip through the different tabs, I think is really helpful. So um, again, it's the same thing. Did I meet with this child? Check it off for whatever date that might be. And I keep my notes very brief and simple, like not full sentences. Um, the main teaching point that I taught, I think yesterday, actually, I pulled one of my students and I did a pretty long writing conference with him just because he needed it with his opinion writing. And I literally simply jotted down like speech was about his sister. Um, I think I jotted like taught how to make it sound more like a speech because it sounded like he was just giving us like a whole, uh, this is about, you know, get to know my sister. Um, and I wrote like punctuation paragraphs. So I knew like, oh, okay. I, you know, I went back and we talked about punctuation and paragraphing together and a being able to see all of your notes in one spot has worked for me. Um, even when I have to go and do report cards, when I have to do progress reports, when I have a phone conference with a parent, it's not in a million places. So, um, being able to see all of that data and you can hide tabs so that it's more concise. You can look back at September. You're not flipping through a binder. I think digital has really worked for me. Um, but it's something you could totally replicate in a three subject notebook if you so choose to, because I did do that for a while. Okay. No, I love that tip. And that's very actionable. I feel like, um, you know, I, I do something very similar. I like to just do really quick jot down notes. Um, I think we are very similar in the fact that we love sticky notes and we love our students. <laughs> yeah. I use that for my own personal data too. Um, I love being able, my whole frame of thought is if it can fit on a sticky note, it's enough. And that's just a really like, what is most important? What is the main idea of what I just did with the student? Absolutely. So instead of making it daunting and like, oh, this is so stressful to write down. You only, you can keep it very concise, very short, very direct with what you did. And it's very manageable. So I love that you have, um, a couple of similar ways that can work for that data track. Right. And if you, sometimes I'll literally write down um, the strategy that I did with them. So for example, one of my like strategy post-its talks about those kids who struggle to write, right? So it says um, being a problem solver and it gives them strategies, what they should do if it's too loud, they don't feel like writing, I'm stuck. 
if that strategy post-it is all about, you know, being a problem solver, sometimes I will literally write in my data, being a problem solver went really well. Right. Uh, did not go smoothly. <laughs> Needs to check in again. Like, and then I can just reference that if I need to. But um, I think the, the, the don't put so much pressure on making these like beautiful notes with data and all these long sentences, because it's really is just, it's for you. Um, it's not like, you know, you need to be sharing this with, with anyone. So it should be as, as quick and as easy as it can be so that it's manageable. Right. Yeah, no, that's really good. That's great. And so, um, so far, just kind of to recap, we've kind of discussed how you can create groups, how you can focus on what am I going to teach in these groups, um, how you're going to be able to check in with these groups, and then how you can actually keep notes and data on what you're seeing within these groups. So that is like a very good general, you know, starting place of what um, teachers can be able to remember. And if they're not trying, they can be able to try. But is there anything else that you can think of um, that would be beneficial for our listeners to keep in mind when they're administering their own small groups, whether it is virtually or um, moving back into in-person or hybrid? What I would say is know your goal going into the small group. You can't predict how the kids are going to react to it. You can't predict, um, you know, whether they're going to, it's going to be easy or not for them sometimes, right? You just have a strategy. I don't know how this is going to go, but I would say go in with the intention of, am I modeling? Am I doing it with them? Am I practicing a strategy with them? Or is it kind of a show and go? What I mean by show and go, because I don't know if I said that before, is sometimes it's as simple as I pulled two students to talk to them about commas. I displayed my digital writing notebook. I said, oh, I wanted to show you two spots that I thought my writing could use commas. It needed one right here after this transitional phrase, and it needed one in this list of items that I'm talking about that I bought from the grocery store. Today, I would love if you could keep an eye out for where you're putting your commas, and um, I'll share this with you so you have it. And it's like a two-minute show and go, right? And that was my intent for those two students. I think that's the number one tip is, I used to make my groups, I would model, then I would do it with them. Then I would want to see them go and try it. You know, it's too much time. Um, so keeping your, they, there has to be a purpose, knowing what your purpose is, whether it goes well or it doesn't, that's uncontrollable sometimes, but knowing what it is, what are you going to focus on to make it um, as concise and as powerful as possible? Oh, and I have to share this one tip <laughs> because I forget who told it to me. It might have been Jennifer Saravallo. Shout out to her 12 times, but <laughs> it might have been <laughs> it might have been a different um, educator in a workshop. Someone said to be mindful of how much you're talking. Mm. Um, and I <laughs> yeah, like I always ask a question. I used to do this so much, right? You ask a question and then you talk over and you like ask the question in two more ways. And I did not even realize that I did that until whoever it was pointed it out in a workshop, not to me, but like to everybody. Um, and that's something I even was telling my student teacher when I had one this year was ask a question, 
and pause, like give them thinking time, let kids actually answer it. It shouldn't be you talking for three minutes. Here's the strategy I'm going to give you. This is how you do it. Okay, bye. Um, and I pull back the talking. <laughs> so that's something that I totally have to have to remember to do. When I'm no, I love stuff. that. Um, and that is something that I've always done with my students too. One, I think that it also just protects those students that need the think time, the ESL students that are trying to retrieve the language. Um, whatever student it is, you know, some students just don't like talking. And so they're trying to put together their words so that they can ensure it comes out correctly. And so um, I actually have always done mandatory think time. Like, even if you know the answer, you're waiting. Um, that is so smart. I like that. Yeah. And so um, I love that strategy and it just really protects every student there. And um, there's something actually at church um, in our in our huddle that we do, and it was uh, taught to me as well, and I've applied that to teaching, where it was like there's a lot of growth and there's a lot of benefit and there's a lot of really good that can come from that wait time, and so they're like they're like, but we know that the wait time is very uncomfortable, and we feel like oh my gosh, like nobody's talking, so I have to say something, but they're like, yes. if you just stay quiet and you allow the students have that wait time, someone is going to say something and it is going to bridge this whole big idea. And it all came from that moment of silence. So thank you for sharing that, that tip. That was <laughs> Yeah. And I just took a, um, I just took a course too about, um, making, uh, creating stronger discussions with your students and wait time was such a big part of that. Um, so even when they're in breakout rooms or you pull a small group, uh, allowing them to actually stop and think, and you're right. Sometimes, you know, you're like, oh, I should just chime in, but no, if you wait, someone has to say something. <laughs> it's like, it's awkward for us all, but you know, it ends up not being awkward and the kids really can benefit from like not feeling rushed or not feeling like I didn't come up with an idea quick enough. And so it is a mandatory wait time and it allows me to have some time, just like a couple of minutes of downtime. And it really gives those kids that do jump, jump, jump. It, it lets them practice having to wait and having to think deeper before just rattling something out, which sometimes we, as we know, is not even on the topic. So I'm totally going to like say that from now on and use that. I'm going to be like, okay, we're all going to have mandatory wait time. Like I think even letting the kids know Yep. is important. That is, And that's exactly what I phrase it as. I mean, you can name it whatever, but I literally say it's mandatory wait time. So I um, love that so much. Take <laughs> my coffee and I'll sip my coffee. <laughs> and then when the mandatory wait time is up and then, you know, I open kids uh, to, to share aloud or actually I have them turn and talk and then we kind of take a couple popcorns and then we move on. But I totally, yeah, I totally miss turning like the turns and talks. That's what, yeah. of course we don't have digitally, but the second tip that I was going to say along with what we just talked about was use your kids to guide your small groups. Mm. Like I cannot stress enough when I pull partnerships and I allow them to, okay, share your jot about predicting read them to each other. What is, what are, what are you missing? They can literally coach and give each other feedback, even in third grade, even in second grade. Um, I think that kids are more responsible to give you, you know, they can notice things in each other's work more than they can in their own. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times for my check-ins, I will actually kind of like tell them what to do together and let them go, go at it, give each other feedback. I always have them give each other a glow and a grow. Um, Instead of me being like, oh, well, let me look at your prediction. Actually, you're missing, you know, text evidence. 
And then for writing, I think it's so, I, I do this all the time. I think writing is kind of a different ball game because you can pull those kids. They can present their screen to each other. In person, they can switch notebooks. I let them grab a highlighter or their favorite colored um, pencil and you know, check where so-and-so is missing punctuation or read your conclusion to one another. What do you notice you can take from each other? I think use your kids um, and, and allow them more leading time instead of us always trying to be the, you know, the lead person, lead teacher, um, let them guide it. I right. think that's really, really beneficial too. All of these, all of these golden nuggets. That is really good. Thank you. That that is awesome. And I'm so glad that like you just had those nuggets of wisdom, um, because I think that's going to be a game changer alone for so many teachers. And they can go and do this tomorrow, which is I'm going to start using my students and just seeing where <laughs> it goes, and they will be so surprised. Um, so with this, with this, we're going to kind of start wrapping up, but. Um, you know, yay, kudos, like teachers have made it through the first half <laughs> of the year. Um, but thinking about this, we still have the remainder of a school year left. And so are there any general tips, maybe not even necessarily related to reading and writing small groups, but are there any general tips that you have for our listeners that can simply help them to find success and just to find that you know, the confidence in being able to crush the remainder of the school year? Yeah, I would say two things. One would be to give yourself grace. Um, this is something I'm not so good at listening to, um, but we have to know when to put the pen down, right? We have to know when work ends and we have other things in our lives that begins. And I think you'll be more successful as a teacher, if you pour your heart and soul into it during the hours that you should, right? And then you allow yourself to rest. So you're not run down. You're not irritable in front of your kids. You're not, you know, you don't have a short temper because we all can feel that way. Um, and then the second thing that I noticed, especially with these past few weeks is make your kids laugh, make them smile and build those meaningful relationships with them. I mean, we've been digital this entire school year so far. And, um, I've done little things with them that just like make school more fun because it can be so redundant right now. Um, you know, virtual pajama parties, um, you know, let them earn a little movie party, you know, let them do fun things that can happen and just seeing like their smiles and them getting excited on the computer screen or in person, I know with masks, but, um, just keep building those meaningful relationships, get to know your kids, you know, more and more because it is January, but there's, oh my gosh, I learn new things about them every time they <laughs> tell me on Monday what they did over the weekend. I'm like, what? <laughs> so, well, thank you, Rafaela, so much for chatting with us today um, about content that I love so much, which is literacy. And um, I'm so glad that we Instagram brought us together. Um, and there's just so many connections out there. And so, now that you, um, that everyone has listened to you, people now love you as much as I do. So they're probably <laughs> thinking, how can I follow this girl? Like, how can I follow her journey? How can I be able to get some more nuggets of wisdom? And how can I be able to learn from all of her knowledge? So can you um, tell our listeners where they can be able to find you? So um, my Instagram and my Teachers Pay Teachers store are both called Thinking About Third. Um, just created that on a whim a couple of years ago, <laughs> and here we are. Good thing I'm still in third grade. Um, so Thinking About Third, um, Instagram and my Teachers Pay Teachers store. My story highlights are um, 
helpful just because I have a lot of stuff from when I was actually in the classroom and I don't post as much as I probably could or should just because we're, we're digital, but, um, I do have pictures of my post-its and the way that I use my reading goal bookmarks. I have images from students actually using them, you know, with their notebooks. I have pictures of anchor charts that students can do like a sign-up seminar. What do I need help with for reading or writing? And that can all help guide these small groups, taking the pressure off of us and letting our kids really guide us to make that those choices. So um, thinking about third is where you can find me. <laughs> Perfect. So thinking about third and I will have all of her information in the show notes. And so um, you'll be able to reference um, highlights and snippets of everything that she has talked about, as well as all of the links to where you can be able to find and um, follow her accounts. So is there any last minute things that you have to say before we close out? No, just that Megan is awesome. This podcast is so helpful. And, um, you know, even for, for me and for all teachers out there, I think this is, was, was an awesome idea. And, um, I just appreciate you so much and everything that you've been teaching me since I've, you know, gotten to know you. So thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. <laughs> I've had a blast. Um, you were the first guest and I, I'm going to say not the the first and the last. You are definitely going to come back on here. And so I will come back anytime. <laughs> okay. Well, that is all for today. But um, be sure to follow um, Rafaela on Instagram, on her Teachers by Teachers store. You can find all of that in the show notes. And we will chat with you later. What a blast it was talking about reading and writing, one of my absolute favorite passions in life. Again, my apologies for my audio quality. Now that I know how important it is to always have your mic with you at all times, the next time I have a guest, it will be crystal clear. But as always, go ahead, head to the show notes. You can find a recap of everything that we discussed today and I will talk with you next time. Thank you for listening to The Literacy Dive. If you would like to connect with Megan, you can find her on Instagram at Miss Peace Style. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes of The Literacy Dive. Until next time.